0: Country, I'm someone's daughter too. That's what just
2: so said, holy help God. Me.
0: Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches <laughs> Sub podcast.
1: Mr. Vice President, I'm
0: speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman.
3: I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird,
0: and this is the Betches Sub podcast, where C-span meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Caitlin, I'm. I am convinced I was staring at a pigeon when I spelled your name wrong in this outline.
1: (laughs) I've never done that before. I'm so sorry. It's totally okay. I felt like it might have been like an autocorrect situation because even my own autocorrect is sometimes like, do you mean your own name? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes, I do mean my name. Speaking Why? of autocorrects, you know my favorite autocorrect
0: is that my phone always thinks when I'm saying for that I want to say fur as in like the tree and it suggests the Christmas tree emoji. Do you guys get that one?
3: No, I know that's so weird. That Why?
0: That's so weird. I don't know. I thought that was a, a universal thing. I'll have to I'll have to investigate. So today we're going to go through a few top line headlines, starting with last night, Vice President Kamala Harris hosted a dinner for 21 female senators. I woke up ready to cover Joe and Vlad and was delighted that instead I could spend my morning uh, looking at this seating chart at Kamala Harris's residence.
3: (laughs) This is way more exciting. Joe and Vlad, what are you going to cover the handshake? Like, oh, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, No,
3: this is exciting.
1: It, it was all going to be very predictable. So it's nice to have something that's like, it almost feels like out of left field politically. Like, oh, oh there's, instead of focusing on this very predictable thing, let's yeah. focus on this other thing.
3: We also don't know the, we also don't know what's going to come out of the summit, but. Um, we don't. I yeah. don't, my prediction is not great. It won't be great.
0: I don't think it's off to like an excellent start. But I think the point is that it's pretty quiet. But for the story, there are currently 24 women in the Senate, uh, but three did not attend the dinner last night. They were Cindy Hyde Smith of Mississippi, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. I just have to ask, like, what what better things do you have to do than go to the first woman vice president's
1: house for dinner?
3: Who, which one are you asking about?
1: Any of them. Any of them. Well, Cindy Hyde-Smith and Cynthia Loomis, I, I would expect to opt out for partisan reasons. Cindy Hyde-Smith might not be vaccinated. <laughs> I don't know uh, that for sure, but she is from Mississippi. And Kristen Cinema just doesn't want to face scrutiny. <laughs> they think at this point for anything. <laughs> so... I would, I would, I go too when I would like people to stop asking me questions. That's Sarah, why family yeah. reunions don't happen. No, I'm kidding.
0: Sammy and I were saying this morning that Kirsten Cinema is definitely a guy's girl and she just like prefers to hang out with the guys
3: because she's a pick me girl. For sure, she a had a therapy girl. appointment that she couldn't.
0: Miss. <laughs> the thing is, she did break her foot recently, but I saw that she is still back in DC and like I've broken my foot. And it's okay. And also, Tammy Duckworth was there having a grand old time. So I think that Kirsten Cinema could have gotten there easily. Um, I'm right. I'm sure someone her.
3: could have assisted her if she wanted to go. She does have a
0: it's, staff. It's not, an it's not like remote. a random cocktail party. It's like it's the vice president's residence. She's hosting, hosting a dinner party a for, for <laughs> Like She I made think- cheese puffs. By herself? I read that she made the cheese puffs by herself. She made the hors d'oeuvre. She's a good cook, but I think they had yeah. uh, the rest of it catered. It yeah, a whole I thing about brining so a turkey
1: that, that mm-hmm. like, you can find that old viral clip. So I believe that these were legitimately vice presidential cheese puffs.
3: I love that. I'm just it's, if Kirsten Cinema didn't want her invitation, I'll take her invitation. <sighs> right.
1: Well,
0: for some reason I I noticed in the pictures that like the menus had all this writing on it and then I zoomed in and it looks like they all just signed the menus. I would like one of these. Um I considered secret tagging Simone Sanders in my post about this. So maybe she can get me one because I would like this item, even if it's smeared with like mahi mahi juice. I would like this item in my house.
3: Yeah. That I, that would be cool. I hope Simone, one of them isn't listening. like. I hope none of them are like selling it, you know, for <gasps> <laughs> on their eBay secret eBay account or something.
0: That would be really funny. Diane Feinstein is just like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we all just sign these?
3: <laughs> yeah, all of them. <laughs> there's like twenty five yeah, of them, twenty one of them available on eBay. <laughs> right, right, but like some of them, it's like
0: you can get all of them. But she also just had Kamala do a few just
3: for herself. Right, but yeah, Kirsten <gasps> Cinema strong narcissistic energy.
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, we know that there are no Black women in the Senate, but these pictures, just, like, it was pretty conspicuous uh, to see it all like that. It was pretty Black. Like, I asked our Instagram audience to, like, say where the best seat was, and my favorite response was a person who said, next to the old white lady, because that was most <laughs> of them.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yes. though, when she was in the Senate, it's not like because there are no black women serving in the Senate, the picture got more diverse. Like it's the same setup from when she was before, before she was vice president. So.
0: Right, exactly. Our
1: government's just full of white people, so.
0: Right, net effect is, uh, is white.
3: <laughs> what do you think about her um, decision or whoever's decision it was to seat Lisa Murkowski next to the vice president? Was it just so Joe Manchin would see the photo?
1: maybe they've got I mean I would assume that being women senators like they tend to have slightly better relationships interpersonally than uh with their their male counterparts or even amongst the male counterparts so I figure like (laughs) Lisa Murkowski's probably like a pretty chill person in like regular life and they probably are friends um at the same time like to me it feels like a certain amount of theater because none of this is anything to do with jobs which is the only thing I care about it's like a very weird balance for me where I'm like in my personal life I'm like I need my job to like manage and balance and I'm trying to find all this other stuff and then when I'm like a person in hiring position which I am as a as a, a voter I'm like, I don't care about your personal life. Like, as long as you aren't doing terrible things to other people, like, have the nicest life that you want. But I don't care that you're friends with this person. Go do your job, which is focusing on me and how to make my life better. And if that person's in the way, I don't care that you guys can have an ice cream social together. Like, fuck that noise.
3: Right. Totally. Agreed.
1: Yeah. I think there probably was some
0: sort of calculus with having Murkowski there, whether it was just for, like, look, we can be friends or she, I mean, Kamala Harris can have a conversation with Lisa Murkowski whenever she wants. She doesn't have to cedar. her. It's not like she's hard to get. Like, I feel like everybody will hang out with people. I personally was thrilled to see Patty Murray of Washington on her other side because like she's a workhorse. She doesn't really get that much like attention, but she's a really good Senator of a really great state. So I just love if that was assigned and, and, and Kamala was like, you know what? I want to sit next to Patty. I adore that. I love that.
2: Yeah.
0: So yesterday, the Senate unanimously passed a bill making Juneteenth a federal holiday. So they tried this last year, but Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson blocked it, saying that the day off for federal employees would cost the U.S. taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. He, I guess this year, dropped that objection, but he uh, maintained, quote, it still seems strange that having taxpayers provide federal employees paid time off is now required to celebrate the end of slavery. The measure needs to pass the House and be signed by President Joe Biden to become law, but I don't think that's really uh, in jeopardy. What do you make of that <laughs> That last word by Ron Johnson?
1: Um, I mean, to to that in particular, like, I like how, how you know, the United States has never had an explicit celebration of the end of slavery, but we have erected monuments and named many of our military bases and a sustained public adoration of the traitors who murdered thousands of their own countrymen right. in order to hold millions of people in bondage and perpetuity. Um, and maintain their extensive and profitable system of human trafficking and somehow like that is something that's not worth spending a few million dollars on like all of that but like oh this end of slavery wow that's so expensive can't believe we're gonna take a whole day and it's saturday and sunday for the next two years like let's <laughs> let's have a discussion about that like, they decide to make it a federal holiday when it doesn't even give a, it doesn't matter it, doesn't, it does right. not even matter there's nothing to celebrate It's going to happen on a weekend. And there's not going to be an observance day the day after it's not like it's like July 4th where we're going to observe, even though it's happening on a weekend, we're going to have an, a Monday observation. There's no extra cost here. So that um I it's also just like,
3: just ask Jeff Bezos to like pay one, taxes on like one day of his profits. And like we paid them, but like, Okay, I think the, the the thing that makes it so clearly window dressing in my opinion is that like out of one side of their mouths, they are passing Juneteenth as a federal holiday unanimously, which like doesn't actually really affect anything practically. And then the other side of their mouth, they're like, you cannot talk about the way this country treated black people in schools ever and to see those two things sort of like happening at once just underlies or just belies how bullshit how bullshit this Juneteenth thing is and how they don't actually care. And they just like want to be able to say they voted for it in a way that won't actually change anything.
0: Yeah. Based on the status of how like state level politics has gone and the weird uh, discourse around like critical race theory, which now just means white people not wanting to learn about like history. I I'm surprised that this passed unanimously like it seems like at the state level, people would have been like, this should not be celebrated." But like, I don't know, to me, it's not surprising that these people would go as far as being like, do we really need to celebrate the end of slavery, which sounds like Ron Johnson was like, I don't think so. Not in this way.
1: Well, basically, it's it's like there was a big argument around making MLK Day a federal holiday, and there was a lot of lobbying, and it took a lot of effort for Black yeah. people to get even that recognition, and then, of course, it happened on the same weekend in many southern states as Lee Jackson Day and Confederate Memorial <laughs> Oh man, we we still have those in many states. I think states are introducing them. They don't only
0: still have them, they are actively deciding to make them new things, which is to honor like the president of the Confederacy.
1: Yeah, well- Yeah. Lee Jackson days are specifically about the generals, but like, why do they need to be honored? They fucking lost. Sorry. That was very, Sammy. (laughs) No, but but it just underscored, like when you said like, oh, they can't pass an anti-lynching bill. I was like, yeah, because that would do something that, that, that would protect black people. That is a, an effort that like would fundamentally talk about what it means to live under A state that sponsors and encourages and fails to prosecute racial terrorism on an ongoing basis. And then it would implicate, you know, like the guys who killed Ahmaud Arbery. And it would, it would, you would start getting really, all of a sudden you could start like possibly prosecuting police officers under an anti lynching law. Like there's a lot of structural stuff that like would all of a sudden happen, which is why Juneteenth got uh, unanimous because it's meaningless and they know it's yeah. meaningless and they know that like if Black people are like ranking things that we really need and want out of the government, a a day that acknowledges, hey, remember that time that we freed you, right, <laughs> right, is <laughs> <laughs> not because that's the energy that all the Republicans are bringing. Aren't they yes. grateful now they've got a day that they can remember that we freed that? We remember you enslaved us, we don't remember you free. That's not how that works.
3: They also like, didn't willingly free anyone, like they had like, to, they were forced yeah. to free.
1: Them. My
0: favorite part of this, and this is just a hilarious coincidence to me, is that um, they're like, We're making it a federal holiday, it's on a Saturday this year. <laughs> Well, OK, feel like it would be on a yeah. Saturday
3: forever. Yes, I hear, I I hear I it's like not having an immediate consequence. But if they would have passed the Juneteenth bill at the same time, they passed an anti-lynching bill and the Voting Rights Act and right. also yeah, yeah. got rid of qualified immunity. Maybe then we could talk about how it's not window dressing or you could talk about how it's like icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. But in, when it's absent of all these other things and then you add the critical race theory frenzy into the <laughs> yeah. cultural conversation you see how just like it's total bullshit
0: yeah i mean i can see some people just like Call sending their kids day. to school <laughs> anyway just like i don't care about your holiday
1: i'm gonna send my kid to school and have them sit outside all day <laughs> what's hilarious to me is that like in many school districts the end of schools have already closed right right, right, right for the year and they've done for the summer so you create a federal holiday during a time where plenty of kids wouldn't be in school anyway. And you can tell that these parents would go, I can feel it. Once we go enter into a, a post COVID normal and it's like us- usual to go to like school on days now, you, it would be like, I'm not, I'm going to send my kid to yep. be outside the closed school that's totally been closed right. for the last week. So I can just make a point that And be like, yeah. I and I know, hope, hope those kids turn into tiny I mean? ra-
0: radicals. Like my mom made me wait outside my school. In the June 19th heat to make a point
1: that she wasn't racist. I don't know. (laughs) It's, it's, it's really, I mean, like the supremacy is so stifling at this point. It's so obvious. It's so disturbing that like, I kind of feel like. Gaslit almost by them passing this bill like it's like oh good like you that's gonna be held up as like I'm not a racist like what the, like what is happening it's also the only like one of the very
0: few things if anything or they've done a couple things but they've actually passed so it's getting more attention for that reason too they're like look look what we did we did a thing it's like you wrote yeah. you wrote something down in your planner it's like you didn't do anything If
3: even, they just want to like be able to pursue the whole, like, it's a post-racial society. We have only made progress. Barack Obama was president. Like that, like (laughs) that, that's what it has the sort of same energy as like this. Oh, it's over.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You don't have to
3: continue doing anything or supporting communities that suffered from this. So
1: yeah. yeah, and the unanimity is going to be used as a cloak of, again, that kind of, like, we did do something for Black people, and it's like, that's that's not a thing, and we didn't act, like, yes, there was some lobbying for it, and we said, like, hey, please recognize this, but, like, that was in part of a larger set of ecosystems and demands that we have, just like MLK Day didn't end, like, what the, f- <laughs> didn't fix any racial so like why would you think that fair I would fix the problem And that's then, really funny to think of it this is what bipartisanship looks like i'm i'm here feeling my you know <laughs> swallowing back my vomit or whatever like i'm right t- right we got an mlk
0: boulevard in every city and it solved racism there are no problems.
1: yep that <laughs> that solved the problem you guys
2: We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of eighty-six dollars per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners eighteen free meals plus free dessert for life, and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com/feverdream. That's homechef.com/feverdream for eighteen free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com/feverdream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N U U L Y dot com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So we gave a broad overview of the mayoral race yesterday, which is now less than a week out. But I wanted to pose some of the same questions to you all that we touched on yesterday. Some of our listeners, even from out of the the New York area, said they were interested in continuing to learn more about this. So, Caitlin, you are you're a native New Yorker, lifelong New Yorker, right? I am and a lifelong New Yorker with like exposure and involvement in politics too. So. What role does the mayor play to you? What is your sense of their, how much power do they really have to improve the lives of New Yorker? What is their symbolic importance? Where are you coming? Where are you coming from as you as you look at this race? Um,
1: wow, that's like it's a big question to answer. Um, so like for a huge portion of my thinking really came back to um, uh, Fiorello LaGuardia who is probably the most famous mayor of New York. I think is easily the most famous mayor in New York's history has entire airport named after him. That's why LaGuardia exists. Sorry. It's not just a a sad airport that makes you (laughs) feel like you should die inside a million times. Um, (laughs) he actually was responsible for, um, I mean, he was a Republican, weird, in a much different political time, so I want to point that out. Right. He was a strong New Deal Republican um, and had, like, this really—he would basically reset the city for the 20th century. Um, His partnership with FDR, who used to be the governor of New York, um, meant that they had a a really good relationship with the federal government and the money coming in, um, and— was able to really put it all to work in upgrading New York and making it bigger and better. So mayors have a lot of control. Uh, Michael Bloomberg was probably one of the strongest, I mean, one of the reasons why New York is unaffordable now is because Michael Bloomberg was mayor. Um, and a big, another big impact is like a school, mayoral control of schools, which was handed over and the lack of control over the MTA which is another thing that happens from the state level and not from the local level. So there's a lot of like really big stuff and like local politics is one of those things where it's like, it doesn't get the attention of national politics because it's so diffuse and so dispersed, but it has a bigger impact than Joe Biden will have on your life. More or less with the exception of of course, global pandemics.
3: <laughs> right, especially since so much like so much economy comes out of New York, so like who's able to access jobs in in New York is obviously like a huge question and that has a lot to do with housing, a lot to do with like the more specific local laws. So it really it really is true like especially the mayor of New York City because of how much industry is here.
0: Yeah. Caitlin, did you bring up LaGuardia's relationship with FDR? Because is there any, are there any parallels to that with like what the city's facing along with the country, like right now with COVID?
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> like, yeah we, we, you can kind of, uh, one of the things about politics that I think that everyone has kind of gotten as we have moved through the Trump era, I think our generation in particular is very, aware of like, you feel that there are some moments in time where like things have to happen and you can feel it happening. It was very strong. Like Obama had to win in 2008. Like it was just going to change our trajectory so much. And we could feel the future trajectory of our country fundamentally shifting. And for many of us, that was our first millennials. Um, That was our first big presidential election for there's a handful of our older cohort where that was 2004 and they too were aware that like the trajectory had been off. We all feel like 2000 was a year where like, even as children, we felt like there was a fundamental shift in our trajectory, Uh, 2001 and 9-11 changed that even further. Like we can feel how time is working. And um, especially in the last five years with Trump and everything, I think we are hyper aware now that we are running out of time for certain things to actually get implemented before it is too late for us to fix them mm-hmm. or that the cost will of fixing, it will be so high. It will make it impossible for us to do anything afterwards. So I think really we are at a tipping point, not just like New York, but as a country, like this is a decision and this is the greatest city. And I'm not backing down from that. Sorry. <laughs> America, this is the greatest city in the country. Okay. And like, don't I don't even down, like sorry. New York
3: that much. <laughs> and I still think it is the greatest. Like, it's just, what are the other options?
1: See, like once you start thinking about it then you're like, I, mm, those. Mm, like places.
3: LA, LA is, is great, but it's like not New York city. It's just not, it's. Yeah.
1: It's
0: it doesn't right, have yeah. the history it's or the culture.
1: Places it's spend. also
0: what make us, gives, makes our problems pretty intense and complex.
1: Yeah. yeah well,
0: I
3: mean, New York is emblematic of the United States also in a way that other places are not. Um, yeah.
1: It's so. a global city. It's a it, it reached global city status very quickly. And it's the first American city to reach that status and to stay there its entire time. New and York we live a, here. It's lucky us. <laughs> been a global city going all the way back before the founding. It's a very big and serious city, and it has it has been central to so many different global spaces, conflicts. The UN is here. Like this is the, a world level city, you know, it gets mentioned in the same breath as Tokyo and London. Mm-hmm. This is not, you can't play with this. So like, that's why it's important the for the matter. Matters. This mayoralty yeah. is going to be an inflection point, which is why it depresses me so much like so Caitlin we're suppressing election I have faced in a really is long is it time. really who who are
3: you gonna rank
1: uh, if you feel
3: comfortable sharing at this moment or if you've decided you don't have to
1: share
0: but you can just tell us where you're coming why are you yeah. disappointed
1: uh, I'm disappointed because like none of these people comes with better upside than downside like the the range on them all of them every single one of them have more downside than upside and it's, it's really depressing for me to have to kind of sit and be like, okay, so with the best case scenario is, like, they don't fuck everything up. But no one makes me feel like, oh, we're going to get a better city out of this. Like, I'm just hoping to limit the damage overwhelmingly. That's So, so depressing. you're speaking
3: to the candidates, like, lack of vision is what I'm hearing.
1: Yes, but also, like... I put together a video about why you shouldn't vote for Andrew Yang, and, <laughs> I, put in it, and I came nice. up with a system. That I
3: feel like we're more at at risk of Eric Adams. We are. Winning we are. Than Yang now.
1: When I made that video, Yang was the to me one of the greater threats because of the there's a level of like empty name recognition that was happening, and that's deflated, which is very good for me but on mm-hmm. the other side like don't first of all don't for, vote for any men in this race like don't vote for men that was my sense in general but right. don't vote for men in this race at all there's no reason to i'm only you ranking two them. people all of the men as i said that downside being less than the upside like there's no upside to eric adams like i cannot think of anything that's going to get better in this city with so eric. why is he leading do you think what factors? Oh, my goodness. I mean, like some pretty obvious stuff. One is that he's already been elected uh, borough-wide, so that gives you a huge advantage. Uh, Scott Stringer is no chance. So anybody who is thinking about doing Stringer, who, who they want the familiarity. They want someone who knows the system. They want someone who's already a politician. He's got better name recognition. He has in-group uh, success with Black people a big thing is like, yeah, people, I mean, think about how much people are like thinking about this mayoral race or not. Like we're, we're yeah. not getting a lot of introspection and very few people because local news has been decimated are qualified to talk about impact at the local level in the way that they are at the national. Mm-hmm. And even at the national, we just elected Donald Trump. So like, this is not a country that's been thinking about the impacts of his political decisions what? at all for a moment. So people are just not equipped and so they're going with with like default but eric adams is just like a nightmare waiting to happen and like for my ranking i mean i morale is imploded which was predictable but like still depressing how did you predict that can i ask <laughs> I mean, was um, that was unpredictable well, he doesn't have actual political experience i mean like i was kind of sitting here not saying like I wasn't saying, I didn't, I wasn't interested in her because I thought she could actually affect what she was asking for. I liked what she was asking for and I liked the dynamics of the thinking and like what it meant to, to take the focus away from, there's a very like outward focused New York discussion which is why Andrew Ying had any fucking chance, which was like, there's a lot of people who want to appeal to the rest of the country and talk to the rest of the country about what New York needs. And I don't give a fuck what the rest of the country thinks. Yeah, about. that's bizarre. Right. Okay. So I have to ask, what about Maya Wiley? Uh, Wiley. She has like a lot of baggage, but I wanted to point out, like, the reason I went back to the Andre Yang videos because I had an axis where I think about experience, persona, impact, and coalition. Miley has the right coalition. I mean, I like her coalition, but there's some people in it who I tolerate rather than like. <laughs> Um, And then there's one person in it. This is just like a personal thing who's absolutely like awful to me. And I really, so like they were abusive and I do not like them and they're (laughs) close to her. And that bothered me a lot. (laughs) Right. That's a personal tick. And I'm not going to tell people not to vote for her on that basis. I think people should vote for her. You should stop Eric Adams at all costs. But yeah, but uh, am I affirmatively in her camp? Like, no, I'm not affirmatively in her camp. She has some issues with administration. She doesn't have the experience. There are things that I think should be in her experience that she's not good at, which makes me nervous. Her inability to condense policy down and make it more succinct, the inability to take advantage of her opponent's political weaknesses. The fact that she talks over moderators every single time she's in a debate, regardless like. It's just the level of impoliteness to me is just over the top. And yeah, I'm a person who rambles. I get it. But like you're on television. You should have cleaner answers than this. There's no excuse for it after years of being a pundit. Like there's no excuse for you not having that together.
3: I think it's almost because she was a pundit that she isn't able to be like a a marketer of her message. Almost. Yeah. Like when you're a pundit, they want to hear your like insightful, nuanced, long winded answer. And that's a good thing. But when you're in a debate, you're like, I got to get a 10 word soundbite.
0: It's a different performance than being a pundit. And I think, yeah, she's not quite nailing the like performing and talking to the constituents as as much as like, I mean, we are that MSNBC audience. So the way that she addresses (laughs) things feels very natural to us. But like yeah, yeah, I can definitely see why it wouldn't right. No, completely. Like a a serious long
3: discussion about, (laughs) you know, what you plan to do for housing.
0: Right, right. We already know that we're both very informed on this issue. So let's start there. But that's not really necessarily how people are going into it.
1: I think there's that, but then on finally, I think that she just I don't see how she's gonna wrestle this system and win. Like, I'm very familiar that New York politics is brutal. It's not going to be easy to do any of the stuff that she suggests. I don't know if she has a strong enough, like, political persona matters a lot. And I just don't see where the strength is going to come from to wrestle the system into submission. Mm -hmm. And a huge chunk of being mayor is getting that submission, like, literally just that executive power and really inhabiting that space and saying like, I need you to get this done and equipping people for that and creating that environment. And I like, do I think she can do it? Yeah, I think it's within her capacity, which is why of course I'm ranking her um, at the top of my ballot. Um, But am am I excited about, like, as I said, I don't think any of these candidates have the upside that is necessary for the future. The downside of Eric Adams is so catastrophic that I refuse to let him anywhere. Like, I'm I'm pushing hard for everyone else. Again, it's for me, like, I have a I'm not gonna go into like the specifics of my rankings. You can check out my Patreon if you want to understand the more nuances of my thinking. But right now I'm only ranking women and the for the for the sake of the Merrill race, Wiley and Garcia are my top and those are like, those are people who I want to get votes and I don't care about the rest of them. And I would strongly suggest if you want to stop Eric Adams, that Wiley and Garcia should be at the top of your ballots and don't rank other men and don't rank Eric Adams and to tell people who are thinking about ranking Eric Adams, not to rank Eric Adams. Think about having them do a write-in, like literally, literally anything. is Lisa, writing herself <laughs> in, I think.
3: <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so funny because, um... I really feel very um, proud that I reached the same conclusion in my ranking as you. And you're much more knowledgeable than <laughs> well, I am. I think,
0: am. as you were talking, Caitlin, I, I, I think I definitely agree with what you're saying about all of them. It's like we don't need four more like a bunch more of like a beta Bill de Blasio type. But I guess what I'm hoping and I'm curious from you is like, do you leave room for people to like not prove you wrong? Cause I think this is where they're at. But like, I think Maya Wiley could get in there and with the right advisors, like take on that stronger. Mm-hmm attitude towards like what needs to be done but i agree she hasn't displayed that so far and i don't like if somebody else had i would be more inclined i
3: think well, what you're describing is what bloomberg was so effective at like mm-hmm. really taking command like this is my city also a little bit of right, Giuliani we need somebody to stand
0: up to cuomo for as long as we still have to deal with him
3: what do you okay so qu- just one more question about eric adams do you think he would be able to like sort of politically drive the city in the way you just described? And what do you think he would ultimately do?
1: Maybe he would be able to do it, but I fully expect chaos. Like what I actually expect is none of these people actually has the strength to tackle city hall properly. And one of the dangers of Eric Adams is that his ideas are so insanely retrograde that even trying to implement them, Is going to be catastrophic. He was on, like, he was out there talking about three hundred to four hundred children on Zoom for teaching. Are you out of your mind? An entire school, entire grade year, being taught by one teacher over Zoom. Has he been on a Zoom? He's funded by hedge fund managers, so I know that they think that he's going to add to their wealth. That's that's the thing that worries me. I know that he's not really interested. And you know, he bought a brownstone in uh, in Bradford Stuyvesant. $250,000 in 2003. And I know that sounds crazy to y'all because you guys have moved to New York and brownstones are always a million dollars or more. But that's not the childhood I had. It was within your power to own a home when I was growing up in New York. And that was normal for my parents too. That's why they believed that they could own a home. My parents have lived, my parents were born in this city my grandparents all immigrated to the city. Like I, we've been here from before Jim Crow. Like this is a thing that like, I'm very aware that it was possible to live in New York yeah. for a very yeah. long amount of time and raise children here and have a whole life here. And that is gone and evaporated. And Eric Adams is invest has made money off of that, the end of that New York. He doesn't even live here anymore to the degree that he does. Well, I was going to ask if you think he lives in that townhouse because to, to right. finish off, he I, yeah. we
0: talked about this on the podcast, but he like invited press because there had been some questions about his residence to visit that brownstone. And it, it did, it definitely did not look like a brownstone where a, uh, a vegan in his fifties or sixties lives. <laughs>
1: right? No, I mean, because he doesn't live there. That's his son's apartment. Yeah, that's green, what, right. That's what I yeah, thought. In the middle of the room should have been a dead giveaway right there. Like, yeah. in the middle of a tiled floor. Are you serious? Like, I'm I mean, so that's funny.
3: the generational wealth that he's passing to his son. Like that townhouse could probably be go for a lot of money now.
1: Yeah, it would be about ten. Totally. Uh, yeah, I did the math, and it's like a thousand percent increase probably in the value of that home. It is probably worth over two million dollars. It's impossible. It's really impossible by 18 years. That's the length of a childhood. So what just happened was it the child who was born in 2003, that child's chance of owning a home is completely gone because our wages haven't risen like the housing prices, And that's the big fundamental issue. I'm so worried about what Adams is going to do. Mm -hmm. There are three big issues. I I know we have it in the script, but like, The three big issues, they're all intersecting with each other. One is the affordability crisis, which intersects with the homelessness crisis, because overwhelmingly the homelessness is not driven by not there not being enough units. There are enough units in the city. I assure you, I know that this sounds crazy. We always need more building, whatever. There are enough units right now to house every single person in this goddamn city. Okay, that's number two. Homelessness crisis is driven by the affordability crisis. And then there's an education crisis because one in 10 children in this city is homeless.
2: That's in so the shameful. In the school
1: system, one in 10 children does not have a permanent address. It could be higher if you consider the number of people who sleep on, are sleeping on floors, who are banki- bunking with, with family, who are stuffing themselves into intergenerational households that can't really fit that kind of people in it. This is a real, when I, I spent my part of my childhood houseless, I was one of those children. It is catastrophic what is happening. That is uh, unbelievable to me that we've normalized ten one in 10 children being homeless in our city.
0: In this city, which is also where the, some of the wealthiest people.
1: There are more six year olds who are six children, six and under who are homeless in the city than single men. That is insane. I need people to grip the vastness of this horrible situation and then ask, like, what are any of these people going to do about that? They're all he's just straight up funded by the real estate lobby. There's no one's interested in fixing this problem. And that's that's the future of the city. Like, there's not going to be a city. Low wage workers got destroyed by coronavirus. No one's trying to figure out ways to to make life livable here. For the working right. poor. And that's yeah. who keeps DoorDash going. That's who keeps all, all the stuff that we take for granted as middle and, and upper middle class people in New York. Like our lives can't live without theirs. Right,
3: right. And the, yeah, that's what I think it's like the lesson everybody missed from the past year. Like who ran the economy while you were sitting in your house? Mm-hmm. Like, and and then there's just no Or like, when you
0: left and came back and this city
3: was still here for you. Yeah. Right. That's right. That too. Yeah. Also, like, yeah, I just don't understand. Was no one like, oh, I'm gonna just ignore everything that I realized this past year about the catastrophic situation we're in and like when a real catastrophe comes, how much it shows that we are just like not cut out to handle
0: really anything. Yeah. People are weak and selfish and we'll find out how weak and selfish, I guess, on Wednesday when we find out the results of this race. That is our show until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Veggie Sup podcast. Bye.